This week's lesson is called A Sacred Assembly. There is a difference between individuality and individualism. Individuality is when God has created us each as individuals. Each of us is a unique person with our own qualities and characteristics. God desires us to grow as strong, confident, competent persons, which means that we are individuals with an individuality. But individualism happens when individuality is taken to its extreme. Our uniqueness and ability to do things for ourselves become the highest ideals so that we believe we don't need anyone else to make it. We feel we don't even need God. So at what point does individuality become individualism? And how does individualism work against both the individual and the corporate good? So today we're going to be studying what is a sacred assembly and why we need it. So we're going to start with Leviticus 23, verse 3. Leviticus 23, 3. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation or a sacred assembly. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So we're going to focus on the words sacred assembly or holy convocation. So with these words, God required two things of his people. First, he required that they assemble. Second, he required that they assemble with sacred intent. Under the Old Covenant, you did not have much choice. It was required of you. You had to attend the community worship time as part of your obligation to Sabbath law. In Isaiah 58, verses 13 to 14, we hear, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah promised that if people would honor the Sabbath day, which included sacred assembly, then God would bring them joy and prosperity. This is the third time in chapter 58 that God clarifies the kind of religious practice that draws down his blessing. So going to church or sacred assembly is not the only thing that brings blessing. It's just one of them. In Nehemiah 13, 18, we find out, Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So if you choose to ignore or desecrate worship time, then God promises them a punishment. Profaning the Sabbath was not an isolated offense. He tells us here, did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on our city? So this wasn't a one-week thing or even a one-year thing. This was a generational thing, that they were desecrating the Sabbath. 
So profaning the Sabbath was not an isolated event. The nation of Israel was ignoring God's command. In Isaiah 58:13, Isaiah warned the nation about doing as you please on the day God set aside for worship. Yet in Nehemiah 13:15, the people chose to worship idols or they chose to turn the day into financial gain. So this is what Nehemiah 13:15 says. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grape, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they were sold. God required them to put aside their individual desires to assemble for corporate worship. Now, the New Testament does not tell us exactly that we must meet but it does assume that we will be meeting. So Hebrews 10:25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in Hebrews 10:25, God commands us to encourage one another. In John 15:12, we hear, this is my commandment that you want love one another as I have loved you. So we're told we are to love one another, and not just as our neighbor, but as Jesus loved us. In Colossians 3.16, we are told, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here we are told to teach and admonish one another. In James 5.16, we're told, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So in James, we're told we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. And you can't do that if you're at home by yourself. We can't do all these one anotherings if we are never connected with each other in sacred assembly. Some Christians, like those mentioned in the book of Hebrews, assume that we don't need to attend sacred assembly. The writer of Hebrews uses words that mean the habit of missing. So it wasn't a one-time thing, it was a habit of missing. This writer encourages them to attend corporate worship and to think beyond themselves to their brothers and sisters in Christ. In the same way, we must give up some of our selfish individualism to reach out in love to others. Since Israel's formation, sacred assembly or corporate worship has continued as part of the believer's experience with God. The scriptures tell us that corporate worship will continue into the future. This isn't just an earthly thing. In Revelation 20, we are given a description of the new Jerusalem. We get just a brief look at the worship in eternity. In Revelation 21:22, we're told, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The author tells us that he sees no temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Worship in eternity seems to follow a more New Testament pattern where we come boldly to the throne of grace. 
In Revelations 21, 3 through 4, we're told, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Here he tells us that God will live with us and that the old order of things will have passed away. We will worship God directly, that is face to face, without a temple veil covering God's glory. Remember, the temple veil was torn when Jesus died, so it won't be brought back later either. The Old Testament and the New Testament both tell us that some things cannot be done alone. We cannot do corporate worship alone. Corporate worship involves give and take with others. We give to God and we receive from God. We give to fellow believers and from them we receive. You cannot duplicate the shared experience of worship in the privacy of your home, even with online worship services. Corporate worship requires relationship. We must meet together. The Bible, when it discusses corporate worship, lists activities of group expression. So one thing it mentions is music. If we skip the assembly, we miss the opportunity and joy of praising God with others. Yes, we can listen to music at home. We can listen to music in our cars. We can sing, but it's not the same as doing it with other people. Not only that, but we rob God of our voice or instrument lifted in worship. Teaching. We often limit teaching to what we hear from the pulpit. But have you ever thought about the amount of teaching that goes on in the halls after service or before service, talking about what you learned that week during your Bible study or what you got out of the message and how it affected you? When we decide to miss corporate worship, someone misses our teaching and we miss theirs. The meeting needs of others. The early church, including Christian giving as a natural part of their worship experience, an example is in Acts 2, 42 to 47. They recognize that Christians in community can accomplish things and meet the needs that Christians in isolation cannot perform. When we abandon the assembly, we also abandon those in need. Evangelism. Often we come to church asking what the church can do for us, when in fact, we should ask what we might do for the church. We should ask what part we will play in the corporate ministry and worship of God. God does not want us to lose our individual identity, but rather lend our unique and individual voices in corporate worship. So in this session, we've talked about giving ourselves in corporate worship. We truly do receive much in worship. We receive encouragement, truth, and love, and we give encouragement, truth, and love. Will any of you think about how you have received encouragement, truth, and love at church? Or how you have given encouragement, truth, and love when you've attended church services? Don't forget, whatever you give during a service, you will receive back even more. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for bringing us together where we can study your word and learn your word. I thank you for giving us Bibles that we can 
read our own text. We're not stuck with just what other people tell us. We can open these words ourselves and see the truth you have presented to us. Please help us make this a part of our week that we will realize that meeting together in Bible studies and small groups and worship services are all part of your plan, Lord, that it's not just, well, I listened to a podcast or I watched a video, that that meeting together is needed, Lord. Thank you for giving us the ability to study your word and be with us as we go out into the world together. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you liked what we've been studying here, don't forget to subscribe. Whoosh! <whistles>